0: Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat. This is a podcast where Northwest Career Services chats with Northwest students, faculty, and staff to find out about their career journey and how they became a Bearcat. I'm Northwest Internship Coordinator Travis Klein.
1: And I'm Hannah Christian, the Assistant Director of Career Services.
0: And today we are joined by Brian Swafford, who is the Director of Forensics at Northwest. And an assistant professor? No, you senior, senior instructor. Senior instructor, I've, and senior <laughs> instructor in the School of Communication and Mass Media. Good
1: try, Travis. <laughs> yes.
0: Titles, titles are always such a challenge. They're titles all long, hard. and they don't really mean anything. But <laughs> welcome, professor Brian. Extraordinaire, Brian. Yeah. All right.
1: So I'm sure people ask you this all the time. Oh, forensics. Yep. What is? Do you investigate things? Please tell me what forensics is.
2: So, forensics means. Uh, <laughs> it goes back to the root Greek, which is the speaking for the courts. And so... Often when we think about it, we think about the TV show CSI, uh, where we think about forensic science, which is the science that's being done for the courts. What we do in competitive is competitive speech and debate. So it is legalistic speaking. So we do persuasive speeches, informative speeches, uh, analysis of campaigns. We do interpretation performances. But basically, it's the fancy way of saying we do competitive speech and debate, um, so that's my job as the head coach. So oh, I gotcha. That's where it gets a little confusing. That's why most of the time I tell people when I say I'm the director of forensics, the next thing I say is, which means I'm the head coach of the university speech and debate team.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I'm sure they would ask anyway. Right, right,
2: they would. Absolutely.
1: Okay, so forensics and senior instructor yep. in the communication department. Yes. Correct? Okay, did you, I'm going to start with a little bit of a different tack this interview. Okay. Uh, did you always want, to like were you good at arguing with people how do you get to this point like how do you get to be a senior instructor and then a forensics person
2: so my father was a high school speech and debate coach my mother was a high school debater and everyone in my family has done debate but my dad has never been my coach even though he has coached both my mother and all of my younger siblings Interesting. so it's weird huh. uh What was, for me, what I discovered when I went to high school is I needed to take an elective. I said, debate sounds interesting. I'll do that.
1: All these other people at my house are doing it naturally, right? Well,
2: we'd never even talked about it. Like, (laughs) at the time that I was, I took the class, my dad was doing full-time ministry. So I didn't even know. I knew he'd been a high school teacher, but I didn't know he had been a debate coach. So when I got into class and we started doing stuff, everybody else was like, this is really hard. And I was like is it though? Because this is what dinner's like. Yep. I don't know what you people are talking about. So that's how I got into doing it. And then I discovered, hey, I like this. And, and I'm kind of good at it. And right? I'm kind of good at it. And I thought, I'll just do it for high school. And then I went to college and I had no intention of doing it in college because I didn't even know it existed at college. And so when I was at the University of Nebraska at their opening weekend, they have the big red street fair, guys holding up a huge sign that says, like to argue, come here. And I was like, Yes, is my calling. Like This is what I do. So I joined the speech team there and I got I thought I'll do this because it's fun. It's not what I really wanted to do. When I uh, went to college, I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. So I wanted to be a medical doctor. I had toured and shadowed doctors back home and I was like, this is what I want to do. And then I decided it wasn't (laughs) mostly because I was taking all the science classes and I was like, I can do them, but it's not really fun and I don't really want to do it. And once I decided I didn't want to go to med school, then being a chemistry kind major kind of limits so your, yeah, yeah. It. So I had this epiphany moment when I was, I, somebody said, well, what are you going to do instead? And I was like, I don't know. They said, what's your, what's your minor? And I said, communication. And they said, well, why don't you do that? I was like, nah, it's too easy. I mean, I get all A's. <laughs> and they looked at me and said, not everybody gets A's. And I went, oh, I should do this. So Uh that's kind of what I did. Um, And then when I finished undergrad, then I started uh, looking at grad schools so that I could possibly get into coaching. So uh, most of the forensics programs are housed in communication departments. So I went to Central Michigan and worked there as a debate coach. And then I went to Ohio for four years where I was a speech coach and an associate director of forensics. So then that kind of put me on a trajectory to get me where I wanted to go.
1: All right, now we're going to circle back around to Young Brian. Sure. What was Young Brian's first job? Did it involve talking?
2: Um, no. So I had the initial jobs were you know babysitting and mowing lawns. But for me, I probably consider my first job working at a movie theater. Um, I got a job when I was fifteen. Uh, working at the local movie theater where I started as an usher. I worked my way up to concessions, and finally I got to be a projectionist, which was awesome. <laughs> the
1: pinnacle of your 15-year-old right. life, right? Well, it was, it was
2: it was great because then I got to uh, watch all the movies for free. If I was upstairs in the projection booth, I didn't have to wear the stupid uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, I got fresh popcorn and all the drinks that I could have, and my job was basically to watch movies all day. So that was awesome.
1: That is a great job, I will so, say. So tell me what, of the era of when you were movie watching, what do you remember? What did you see?
2: So I worked, uh, there are ones that I have positive memories for, ones that I have negative memories. Negative memories was waiting to exhale because a fight broke out, and it was about five minutes after we had all clocked out. And so we had to clock back in and then go and sit and watch the rest of the movie so that a fight wouldn't break out again. And I'm like... I don't know anybody a punch. I'm not. I'm not getting paid enough to get punched in the face. So yeah. I, that was that was rough. Um, I remember Michael Collins was out, and that was a really long movie. And so the nights where we didn't have to start the last showing was great because I didn't have to stay that whole time. I also watched uh, Hercules probably every day. Then it was out in the theaters, <laughs> so it's one of my favorite Disney movies. So I watched that. Hercules. Hercules. Yeah, and I, then the re-release of Star Wars when they re-released all of those. So I came in and previewed those at like midnight on Thursday before they came out. And then I worked all those weekend shifts when there were lines around the building like three times just circling it. So yeah, those are some of the ones I remember.
1: Okay. So you worked at the movie theater Mm -hmm. and you sort of got involved in debate in Mm -hmm. high school and decided you weren't doing that. What, what, why did you have any ambition to be an orthopedic surgeon or a medical person? (laughs)
2: Well, what uh, inspired you? Well, I always liked the idea of medicine. Um, My mom was a medical technologist. Uh, She works in the blood bank and still works in a blood bank in Atlanta. Um, So I'd been around hospitals uh, growing up a lot. And I thought surgery is cool. And I was into sports. And so sports medicine seemed like a thing that I was really interested in. I was interested in the way stuff worked, the way the body moved, the mechanics and all of that. So that got me interested in that kind of, in that kind of work. And I thought, I'm pretty good in the science stuff. I had I'd taken all of the chemistry classes they'd let me take. I'd taken physics, I'd taken biology. So it made sense. And I thought this would be something where I could do it. Everybody knows what it is. It's an easy thing to declare, not so much an easy thing to execute. But still, <laughs> it's something that I was like, yeah, this would be this would be great. And it was an easy thing to kind of pursue when I got to college. And it was something you could do pretty much at any school because you knew you were going to go on to graduate school. You are going to go on to med school.
1: And that's so, where it really mattered, right? Like right. your undergrad is kind of like preparing you, but we'll just go there. <laughs> right, right, right. So what was the point where you decided not for me,
2: uh, that was in the middle of my fifth year of undergrad. <laughs> College was the best six years of my life. So I loved it. Uh, when I tell classroom students that, they look at me and go, "Oh man, what were you doing? How bad did you do?" And I was like, "No, no, no. I graduated with like 185 credit hours. Me I took too. I'm right there with class you. Class <laughs> that I could take. It was oh, there's another class I could take. The university finally got to the point and said, "You need to graduate. And I was like, do I though?" And there's like, "Yes. You, there's no classes left to take. I was like, Fine."
1: So you definitely covered the gambit, right? Like yeah. you, you just dipped your hand in all those places yeah. and were like, nope, not for me.
2: Well, I was, uh, I tell students that when I finally graduated, my degree was in communication studies with minors in chemistry, physics, and <laughs> philosophy. And I had, I was two classes short of minors in math and Latin. So <laughs> I took a lot of classes.
1: <laughs> okay. But back to that moment. So yep. you were in the middle of your
2: fifth, fifth year. year. Yep. I decided that I was not as interested in going to med school anymore. I just, I didn't really feel like I was going to enjoy being a doctor. Uh, And so then I kind of had this thought of I'm a declared chemistry major. And if I'm not going to med school, I kind of have two choices. I can go to grad school and be a research chemist, which I didn't really want to do because you're doing, you know, I have to come up with new research protocols that I didn't really want to, I wasn't interested in. Or I go in, I get graduate and get a job and the job pays really well, but you're doing the same thing every Every day day. over and over and over again. And I said, I don't want to do that. (laughs) So uh, that's when I switched to communication. I went to uh, the, who would become my advisor. I'd taken a class from her before and I said, I want three things. Uh, And she said, okay, what do you need? And I said, one, I want to switch to communication. She said, cool, you can do that. Two, I want to graduate next May, and she said, "Well, I don't know." And I, I pushed a piece of paper across the desk to her and said that said, "Here's the classes I need in the fall term. Here's the classes I need in the spring term." She looked it over and said, "Yeah, you can do that." And I said, "Third, I want to be the undergraduate teaching assistant in your debate class," and she said, "Absolutely." So that was the three things I went to her with and switched and sailed. Everything
1: was great. Smooth sailing, pretty from much. Out. Yeah. So we had a graduate assistant. We've had Lucy Hilliard on here as a graduate assistant. So when you went to grad school, a lot of students freak out about this like transition. Like where should I go to grad school? How do I get into grad school? Like how do I know which grad school is the best grad school? What was your what was your theory or your philosophy on that?
2: So mine was initially Backed my way into it and then had a plan. So the backed my way into it was when I was graduating undergrad, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do after I finished graduation. At one point, the plan was to move back home to South Georgia, become a high school football coach, teach uh, science classes, and then ultimately become a football coach. And I had a 10-year plan for that. That was going to be great. That's impressive. I knew kind of what I was going to be there. I was going to enroll in a master's program for education, secondary education, do that for three to five years, and then move from the, the smaller South Georgia town to a bigger uh, city and then progress up from there and at some point around 10 years make the decision of whether or not I was going to pursue college coaching or not. Then I decided I didn't want to move back home. Um, but while I was at my senior year, I went to one of our national speech and debate tournaments, and was judging. And I had I had been judging since my eligibility had had expired because you only have four years of eligibility. Uh, otherwise, I'd still be competing. Uh, so I went. I was talking to some students, and they were asking me what I was going to do after I graduated. And I said, I'm not really sure. I'm probably going to move back home. And students from Central Michigan said. Wait, a, wait right here, let me go get our head coach. And they brought the head coach over and, and said, we need a grad assistant, you should come here we and coach debate. We just found him. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was a very expedited process where they said, we need you because of specific skill sets you have as someone who has done debate, who knows how to judge it, who knows hmm. how to coach it. So I went in to coach speech and debate and I took communication classes and did the things that I needed to do, but that was kind of the, the pursuit I had. For those two, for that year... And then the second year, I started thinking about, what do I want to do after that? And I liked coaching. I knew I wanted to go go into coaching, and I knew that I needed more experience. So I wanted to go to the best place I could find. One of the best coaches in the country then took a job at Ohio. And so after at the end of my first year, he was hired there. I went and introduced myself to him again, because we'd met before, and said, I would like to come there and be your grad assistant. And he said, Great. And so the next year I applied and I had to apply to other places just because you never know where you're going to get accepted. And he's like, no, you don't need to apply. And I said, yeah, but until I'm officially in, I kind of do. And then he's like, no, you don't. I got in and so <laughs> I went there and I studied for him so I, the two graduate programs I worked for I worked for one of the best debate coaches in the country and then I worked for one of the best speech coaches in the country and so that six years took probably an additional decade off the learning curve for me so
1: interesting I learned How, about it. so obviously and maybe I'm assuming this but debate being a different kind of speaking than just straight up speech right yes can you delineate that for me
2: so debate, academic debate follows, and there are multiple formats of academic debate, but it follows a set of rules where it is one team uh, against another team with a judge evaluating and determining a winner. Um, so the, the matchup might have a set topic for the year. The topic might change at certain intervals. The topic might change every round. Uh, so that's what you're going to have to do. You have to figure out whether it's a team event or it's a one-on-one some events, there's a, an event called British Parliament, which is four teams of two in every round. And you have to then rank order them one, two, three, four. Uh, mm. So you theoretically could be up against your own teammates. So that's fun. Huh. Uh, I have coached pretty much every format except for policy debates because that's a whole nother thing. Uh, and then speech stuff is where you have different genres of events uh, and different uh, types of speeches or different types of interpretation where each one has its own set of expectations, standards, and rules. And you're going to perform that and be ranked usually out of six in each round. And then the top six performers or at larger tournaments, the top 12 or top 24 will advance to elimination rounds. And then it's the trying to be the best out of every round. Is you're that in.
1: an individual competition? Do you also compete in teams in speech? Or is uh, just there individual? is
2: There is duo interpretation, which is two-on-two. Uh, but that is you, I, the way I describe it. is It's kind of like track. So in at a track meet, you have your individual events that you're going to go out and do, but you score points for the entire team. I gotcha. So that's kind of the way it works for us. Kind like golf,
1: kind right? A golf a like little that bit. Too?
2: I, any, sure. any team, any team <laughs> event like that where the individual the focus first is on individual success, and if every individual does what they need to do, the team, then the will, team do well. will do well. So that's kind of how it works.
0: So how did you get from Ohio? To Northwest Missouri State University. Because yeah, those don't seem like those they're the same thing. don't
2: things. touch. <laughs> well, so forensics jobs are different insofar as they're a very special set of skills because you have to know how to coach the various events. You also have to know the administrative stuff that goes with it because I have to do all of my own travel reservations, all of my own bookings, all of my own vehicle reservations. I have to do all of that kind of stuff, manage paperwork, manage budgets and manage my team. So that becomes a unique skill set. So those jobs are few and far between. I went from Ohio. I left and spent a year at Boise State uh, University as an interim director of forensics, which was a weird experience only because uh, (laughs) while I was there for that year, I knew it was an interim year. There was an opportunity to stay permanently if uh, I was hired at the end of that year. Uh, obviously I wasn't. But uh, during that year, we won the national championship, which is the best that you could have possibly done. And then uh, the schedule for that was we won the tournament and the national title on Saturday, drove home on Sunday. I took Monday off. Tuesday I came in to do some paperwork, and the chair said, congratulations. Also, we decided to hire somebody else. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) So so I had already been applying for other jobs uh, just because – it was only a one-year uh, appointment at your interim, so you kind of have to be, be, be prepared for that. Uh, and so one of the places that was open that year was here at Northwest. And I had competed at the University of Nebraska, so I had competed across the region. When I was competing, uh, Northwest was a small but very good program, um, and Northwest has a long history of turning out really, really excellent coaches. Uh, for a long time, people would come here, get their start here, be here for three, five, six years, and then move on to a different position. And so I knew the history of that. I knew the location. Forensics tends to be a fairly Midwestern activity. So if you're fairly close to stuff, it makes it a whole lot more affordable. So it was a really good fit. Plus it was close to where friends were from college. So I was like, this would be interesting.
1: All right. So Talk about, <laughs> this reminds me of a conversation we had with Pat Emil And he talked about how when he came to Northwest, he had, as far as like for recruiting him or for, you know, a job interview, mm-hmm. how Northwest like left mints on his pillow or something. I don't know. But um, in regard to like coming here for an employment interview or, you know. But. Checking out Northwest. Like, what was your first impression? I know you 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 thought you knew like the school, but what was your first impression as an employee?
2: So, uh, my hiring was different because forensics jobs also it's a very small candidate pool. Uh, I did a phone interview from Boise uh, in the morning. And you had the job by afternoon. Yes, actually, <laughs> it, it, I've heard now both sides of the conversation. I I talked for an hour, hour and a half, and then they said, "All right, well, we'll be in touch with next steps." and hang up the phone and I was like, okay, cool. And I go about my day and about two hours later, I get a phone call. We would like to hire you. Like, <laughs> awesome. That sounds good. Uh, the other side of the conversation was, do we need to talk to anybody else? So that makes me feel real good. Um, <laughs> uh, so when I first got here, it was the, I had a moving van filled with stuff. I had, I had, uh, gotten a ho- uh, an apartment, uh, that I'd found online. So I was going to live there cause I figured I can live pretty much anywhere for at least a year. And, uh, the only problem I had was when I moved in, it was the summer of 2011, which was when all the flooding was. Mm-hmm. So coming across the river uh, was difficult and I had hired movers to move <laughs> me in and none of them were available. So I had a second floor apartment and I had to move all my stuff by myself. That was fun. Uh, <laughs> but uh, when I had done the phone interview, one of the things they said, because I was living in Boise and Boise's a... a fairly big city, they said, you know, it's not like that. Maryville's a small town. After the university, our next biggest employer is probably uh, Kawasaki. And then after that, it's like Walmart and hy And I had, I said, that's not really a big deal. I went to school at Ohio and Ohio is in Athens, Ohio, which is down in Appalachia. Mm-hmm. And so for us, uh, the second biggest employer, I believe, was Walmart followed by McDonald's. And if you wanted to go to Target or Best Buy or the mall, you had to either drive to the uh, – there was stuff in uh, Lancaster, which is 45 minutes away, or you could drive the hour and a half and you're in Columbus. And so I was like, yeah, that's about pretty right. Pretty close, yeah. Pretty, pretty close. I was like, yeah, that's not that big of a deal. It has everything you need, not much else, and that's pretty – that's okay. So, yeah, it was the small town uh, – aesthetic that I was I was okay with because I I kind of knew what it what it was like especially in the in the Midwest where you have fairly big cities every about three hours. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah
1: that's kind of how it goes.
2: Right? That's how it goes and, and anything in between is a little sparse. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so when you came here so what what did the team look like? What did the record look like? What was the cut? What Improve. I'm all about coaching strategy. I like like this coaching strategy thing. Talk to me about that.
2: So when I came in, uh, the person that left, uh, was, uh, he was getting out of forensics. So the team, he has a very different coaching style. Uh, the nicest thing I heard about him was he's an acquired taste. And so I had to kind of overcome some of that. Uh, there were some tensions with other offices, with the way we take care of things. There was the high school coach at the time was like, I don't know, because the previous coach had been a smoker, can't comes over to the high school to talk to high school students with a cigarette behind his ear and is gonna go wants to go talk and it's like, You can't do that at a high school. They're they're tobacco free by law. Like mm-hmm. you can't do that. So she was a little nervous until I showed up and I on the first day, I was wearing a shirt and tie, and she was like, oh, okay, you're a normal person. All right, that's fine. Um, the team was different because it's it's anytime you replace a director, it doesn't matter how it goes, you're always going to have some turnover at the top. And so part of it was knowing what things I wanted to establish, what I wanted us to be. Uh, when I interviewed, one of the questions I asked was, what are, what are our goals as a program? Do we have a national tournament that we attend? Do we have uh, departmental or university expectations about how we would perform at that? And what they told me was, not really, we just like the kids to have fun and please don't go over budget. Wow. So I got to basically create whatever I wanted. So I came in and said, I think we're going to do this national tournament because it makes the most sense for the the profile of the team that we have. And uh, I think I can do that for a pretty reasonable amount, but I want us to be really good. And so every year I tell people my goal is to be top 10 in the nation and we've done it many times, but... Some years that works, some years it doesn't. Last year the national tournament was in New York City. That's really expensive, so I didn't get to take everybody because that would cost my entire budget. Uh, (laughs) This year's in San Diego, so it's kind of the same thing. But whatever we're going to take, I want it to be really good and top caliber. And so that was a little bit of a culture shock to to some of the students that had been on a team previously where they didn't have those same expectations. And so—
1: Not quite as competitive an atmosphere or different kind of preparation. right.
2: And so that, that caused, there were, there was going to be some turnover and that was always going to happen. And, uh, the first couple of years we lost several folks that just, that wasn't what they wanted anymore. They wanted something that was more like a a social club, a travel club, and it wasn't really what I wanted and no anger. I mean, we all want different things. And so if, if this program doesn't fit, there's lots of other awesome things you can do on campus. Uh, After that, we kind of got into a role where I was able to recruit the types of students that I want. I was able to establish the expectations that I wanted. And then that built in a system where those, those same students were then able to reinforce those expectations. So where we are now, where this is year number nine... I know that the students that I'm going to travel know what my expectations are as far as traveling, what my expectations are as far as being prepared for a coaching session, what things they need to do, what standards they should hold themselves to. So they get really frustrated if they're not competitively successful. They have, they are are quick to point out uh, when each other is not pulling their They're their, holding their each way. other accountable. They're holding each really. other accountable. And so it means that I don't have to be the heavy nearly as often, which is kind of <laughs> nice. Uh, so it allows me to to step in and, and be more of the cheerleader to do a lot more uh, positive reinforcement because they're doing a lot of things really 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 well.
0: And you've been really successful too.
2: I have.
1: Yeah, talk to us about yeah. your success. That's why you. Yeah.
2: Oh, um <laughs> uh, I, I I tell people that we've won 41 national championships since I've been at Northwest. I have personally been responsible for 40 five national championships, because I won five when I was out at Boise. Uh, So we are very good. Um, (laughs) I like to say that my ego is 12 feet tall and talks to me. Uh, (laughs) But uh, at one point, there was a – it's long out of date. But at one point, I know Dr. J would would talk about how since 2009, Northwest has won Mm -hmm. like 40 national championships. And at the time, they had won 40 40 national championships. Forensics was 26. So – we take up a lion's share of those things <laughs> that they brag about. <laughs> so it's, it is it is it is nice. One of the things I tell people is when I came here, this program was, the position was often a transitional position. You would come mm-hmm. in, you would do it for two or three years, maybe four or five, and then you would start looking for other opportunities because that's what was available to you. So when I came in, one of the things I did is I started thinking, what is it that we want this position to be? What does the university want the position to be? And how can we position the program in such a way that it modify or it exemplifies the university's expectations, our mission, vision, and values. And so I have a program that allows students from any major to compete. Uh, They provide them an opportunity to be successful, uh, to really exemplify what it means to be a Bearcat and how it gives a positive Thing that the university can brag about of being successful of providing exemplars of what career ready students look like because they know how to dress, they know how to speak, they know how to interact with other folks, and so they become these uh, these pillars of what we're looking for. And so it also means that the program becomes that much more value added. So when so many other uh, programs across the country talk about, well, my administration doesn't know who I am, or when they say that we've got to face budget cuts. We haven't had that, and in large part, it's because of the support we've had from the top of the administration all the way down, where they have been very to big the students sports. themselves,
1: yeah. right, supporting their own program yep. and, and doing their best. Yeah. So any major. So if I am a fresh, we're going to pretend like Hannah is a freshman, okay. and I want to join the forensics team. Yep. So how do I join? In like. What do I do first? How do I get started?
2: So, you join typically by contacting me, and we sit down and we figure out what stuff, what experiences do you have, what things do you want to say, and how can we position that in the events that we do. Um, I tell people that I'm less concerned about high school experience because while high school experience is nice, high school is different than college uh, for a variety of reasons. Your judging is different, the age of the competitors is different, like just the events are different. So the experience is nice. I went to a small school. There was
1: no speech or debate at my school. When I
2: competed in Georgia, I competed in four-person policy debate, which means I only debated one side uh, and not the other. And then I did extemporaneous speaking as part of a literary contest. And I did two rounds for the year. And so when I got to college, (laughs) they were like, you know what these events are. And I was like, yes, I do. And they're like, that's about it. We gotcha. I was like, yes, it is. So
1: what's my first. So, so, okay. I make some sort of team. I don't know where I fit in, but I fit in somewhere. Then how do you coach me? How do I, so what I do is I usually
2: start with, we figure out what event you're going to start with. There are 11 uh, individual events. So those could be speeches. Those could be interpretation events. Those could be limited preparation events, but we figure out what is the best place to start given whatever past experiences you have and whatever interests you might have. And then I'm going to try and help find various topics that are going to work for that. So if you come in and say, I'm really passionate about this thing. Okay, cool. How can we fit that within whatever we're going to do? So I've had students that come in and say, I really am passionate about, uh, like this year I have a student that's very passionate about Title IX. Mm -hmm. and did a speech last year that was about Title IX and the Me Too movement, and that was something she was passionate about. Then this year she said, I've been looking into it, and high schools are terrible when it comes to Title IX because they think it's all athletics, and they don't think about any of the other stuff. And so we started researching it. And while it's covered under Title IX, Title IX was really written for a small college similar to ours, which would have a department that would investigate that kind of stuff. So she's really passionate about this issue, so we wrote a speech that's a persuasive speech advocating for how can we improve Title IX when it comes to high schools. Hmm. So it's finding the interest that the student has and then helping fi- model uh, modify the, the, uh, the ideas into whatever we're going to do for the speech event.
1: And so you're like channeling it through those rules yep. that they have to compete with.
2: Yep. I also tell them a lot of one of us has coached multiple national champions. The other <laughs> one has never done a college <laughs> speech before. So if one of us should be good at it probably should be me. <laughs> <laughs> Ego talking there, right? I mean, well, I mean, it's true though, right? Numbers no, it don't the, lie. Like, it, the, I mean, the big part is the reason why I tell them that is because when uh, when students come in, one of the most terrifying things to do is to write the first draft of a speech because they're convinced it's not going to be very good. And so I have to tell them, you're right, it's not going to be very good. And it's and not going to be okay. good. And yeah. it's okay because it. Why would it, why would you expect it to be good? You've never done this before, so of course it's not going to be good. Mm -hmm. If my draft is not very good, then we have a different problem. (laughs) But your draft, yeah, that's fine.
1: So what types of careers uh, does this, if I'm in forensics or if I'm speaking, like what types of careers does this Bo- go into? Bo- Anything. Into? What do people
2: do with this? Anything. It's uh, the it's kind of like communication as a whole. Communication majors, one of the reasons why we talk about it is all of the skills that employers want, we do in communication. So quality written communication skills, quality oral communication skills, the ability to work well with others, the ability to engage in critical thinking, um, the, all of those things are incredibly valuable and those are things that we teach in communication as a whole and forensics in particular. Students get really good at research. They get really good at writing their ideas and presenting it in the best possible light of considering audiences as they're crafting their messages in order to have the greatest impact. They have to be empathetic in a particular way so that they know this is going to work for this type of audience, but I need to cater to this other type of audience, so how do I modify what I'm doing, whether it's through the inflection in my voice, whether it's through the word choices I make, how how do I do those kind of things? So students that have done competitive speech and debate have gone into a host of careers. People have gone into politics. They have gone into uh, entertainment, whether it is as, uh, as speakers, whether it is as actors, whether it is comedians. People have gone into uh, political, both local and national. Um, there are communication professionals that have come out of forensics, so they are press, press secretaries and communication directors for uh, politicians, for corporations. So there's a lot of things that you can do, you can do with that. Uh, some of the students that I've coached while I was in graduate school, I've had uh, one that's a foreign service officer, one that is the communication director for a, a congressman, uh, another that is the head of the Women's Center at a, commu- at a college. So hmm. you can do just about anything. It really provides you more with a set of skills that you can then apply to whatever specific whatever thing you Whatever area do. that
1: you're interested in. Excellent. Any last... I always ask for wisdom. I need (laughs) tips, tricks for someone finding a job, someone Mm -hmm. going into a career, someone who thinks they want to be a surgeon, but they really are a championship forensics coach.
2: So the first thing I, I, I tell people is when it comes to advice is be honest with yourself. There's a lot of times, especially early on in the college years, where we come in with a major that is in large part influenced by friends, families, trusted others that say, this is what you should do. And we... Take that and say, okay, that's what I'm gonna do until we get into the classes and go, I don't wanna do that. <laughs> and so first is being honest with yourself. Like you're the one that has to pursue the, the coursework, you're the one that's pursuing the degree. Make sure that it's a thing you wanna do because You're the one who
1: has to get the job afterwards, right. right? And you don't wanna have
2: you don't wanna do something you don't like. So be honest with yourself. Second is find something that you enjoy. Like I one of the reasons why I know that forensics is a good fit for me is because I'm naturally curious about all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a bookshelf filled with with various books about a host of topics because I'm interested in them. And as a speech coach, I get to explore all of those topics. I can come in and if a student says, I don't really know what I want to talk about, let me tell you all the things I want to talk <laughs> about and see what you're interested we in. We say
1: the same thing in the career mm-hmm. services Absolutely. office. We yeah. want to have all the careers, so right. we just vicariously kind of prepare each other.
2: And so I, those those things are great of giving yourself that opportunity to to explore, to to know more stuff, Um, and so I think that's important. And I think it's also important to be able to say there's stuff I don't know and then decide, is that important for me to know? Does it get me to where I want to go or not? Like if I wanted to be a surgeon, I'm doing a terrible job at that. (laughs) But if I want to be a a head coach of a forensics team, I've done a really good job at that. And so I put myself in a position once I decided this was the path I wanted, I started figuring out where did I want to go? So I, when I wanted to do football, I said I had a 10 year plan when I got into forensics, I kind of had a 10 year plan and it was get me to where I want to be so I can start making some choices. And so that was something that was important that I think some folks, especially when you don't have a job, Mm -hmm. you start off with the, I just want any job, any job will get me there. And there's a lot of truth in that, but it's also the, how does this job get you to where you want to be? It might just be a temporary stop. It might be a long-term thing, but how does it get you to where you want to go? And once you figure out where you w- ultimately want to be, then the path should reveal itself to you.
1: Ooh, I like, I like that. I'm going to end on a that. Great note the to end on, The path will yes. reveal itself.
2: Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, that will do it for another Behind the Bearcat, and we'll talk to you next time.